0: As we come to God's word this morning, Um, let's, let's first go to him in prayer. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. To see its truth. To rest in that goodness and grace. To see the glory of Christ more and more. Lord, we need Your Spirit to be at work in us. To see this. To delight in it. To have it change our hearts by Your Spirit. Lord, we are desperate for You. And so we pray that You would work. That You would do this for Your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. I would encourage you... uh, to, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, um, to grab one. We do have, hopefully, copies in the row, or if you have to open up a phone and, and do that. But um, And, and to, to follow along, we're going to read the letter, or I'm going to read the letter. Um, as kind of a wrap-up, I love to be able to do this when we finish uh, a book, or even start it, especially when it's a shorter one. These books were meant, these letters were meant to be read to the congregation. And so, honestly, if if what I say is bunk afterwards, at least you get God's Word read to you this morning. So um, this, is, this is a good thing. So uh, turn your attention to God's Word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and it was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, us. and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked." But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world and the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Well, there are a few phrases that when I hear them, I get a bit bugged. It's kind of annoying. Um, some to a greater degree than others, and I realize that, that much of it probably isn't worth my mental energy. Like, I can share one with someone over here, the phrase, I could care less. Can't stand that phrase, because it's not really saying what you think it's saying. Now, people might get the gist, but it's not, it's not actually communicating what you want it to communicate. But then there are a few others that are a bit more significant. One is the phrase, my truth. Honestly, it doesn't even make sense to me. Okay, truth is truth. We don't own truth. It is not our truth. And all it really means is, this is what I feel, and this is what I'm going to impose upon you. But there are even more significant ones, and they almost universally send up red flags for me. And they're very related. My God and my Jesus. My God and my Jesus. Because most of the time, I hear them used in the context of, well, my God wouldn't do such and such, or my Jesus wouldn't be like that. And often then, what this tells me is that the person who said that is working to fit God into their paradigm, into their ideas, into their vision and and box of what is right and wrong. So God is no longer actually God, but rather he's been fashioned in their image. And yes, I realize that not one of us has a perfect understanding of God, but there is a huge difference, okay, huge difference between longing to be conformed to the image of God in Scripture and letting God define who God is and us trying to define who God is. That is a massive, massive difference. One is seeking truth. The other is imposing man-centered or man-made truth, which is falsehood, quite honestly, and idolatry. And this is not an uncommon part of human life. And John addresses this propensity in his very last words Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, though his transparent purpose in this letter, was to give assurance of eternal life with Christ. Uh, You could look at 1 John 5.13, we just read that. That cannot happen, that assurance cannot come about if one does not believe in the actual Christ of Scripture. You cannot be assured, you should not be assured of your salvation if you don't actually know and believe in the one true God. This morning, so with that, along with having just read the whole letter, I simply want to wrap up the way John did. With this exhortation, and I I echo what Hilary of Arles put uh, many, many years ago, the letter ends as it began, with an admonition to worship the one true God alone. Everything else that John says is contained in this one golden rule. Now to many, this last line seems way out of the blue. It doesn't seem to fit. It's, It's definitely not a typical ending of a first century letter. But in some ways, I think it actually follows quite well because the beginning's not a very typical beginning of a first century letter either. Remember what we just read that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That's not how you see letters typically start. But... The concern expressed, I think, relates very well to how John ended, because his concern at the beginning is for the readers to have fellowship with them, to have fellowship so that their joy would be complete, but that fellowship with them is because they have fellowship with Jesus. They have true fellowship with God. It's joyous for John to see people walk in truth. It brings him joy, and the letter spends so much time working through that, not only giving assurance, but actually warning against falsehood that would impede that fellowship. He's warning against that which would be false conceptions of Christ. And not only would it impede that fellowship, but in many cases, if if you go so far, you you are gone. It's, It's removed from fellowship. So I actually don't think the original readers would have been shocked with this ending. Rather, they would have seen it, as as one puts, as a rhetorically powerful ending that demanded a response to the implied question, whom will you serve? The one true God or idols who represent only false ideas, darkness, and death. Whom will you serve? So John begins these last words in a way that we've heard, this is the eighth time that we hear this little children. It's care, it's concern, it's, it's tenderness, it's affection. John's heart for those he pastored and knew was to see them walk in the truth. Actually, in, in the next two letters, if you look at Second John 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. And in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. John delights to see his children walk in the truth, to see those he's pastored and shepherded. That they would walk in the assurance as well of what he just affirmed in the letter in 18 through 20, which we talked about last week, those three affirmations that we know, we know, we know. And then he gives the command, keep yourselves From idols. When you see something that says, keep away, you assume that it's likely there because of the presence of danger, that if if you fail to keep away, you'll be in danger. These two signs, I think there's two signs up there, hopefully. they have a bit of an intense feel to them, don't they? The, the, the one, the poison, like I, I remember that as a kid, like that's plastered everywhere stay away from this because probably back then we put a lot more poison under the sink than we do today. But there were things of like, keep away, keep away from this. And you can almost hear someone yelling that, keep away. It's because it's a warning of grave danger. It is life-threatening not to heed a warning to keep away. And John is charging the people with that kind of seriousness. It's to keep away from, to to keep themselves. There is personal responsibility with this, too, because he says, keep yourselves. Just as in Jude, I, I mentioned this last week in Jude 20 and 21, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, but keep yourselves in the love of God. The believer is to be diligent in this. Reminded of Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. If our heart is corrupted, the springs are corrupted. We have to be vigilant. We have to persevere. We we have to be um, diligent in guarding and protecting ourselves from that which could harm us and that which will harm us. We're to take careful measures in order to keep ourselves safe in the fellowship of Christ. Now, what, what is that danger? What are we to keep ourselves from? Idols, idolatry. Okay, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Because I just read the entire letter, you didn't hear the word idol once, until the very last word of the letter. And though that is technically true, you didn't hear the word once, but once, I actually think he's spoken to this idea quite extensively throughout the letter. Now, first, before we get to that a little bit, we have to remember where John was, the, 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 the environment in which he wrote, and to which he wrote. He wrote, we believe, from Ephesus, okay? This was a city with a pervasively idolatrous culture. Uh, the Temple of Artemis, one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world, was in Ephesus, okay? Read um, Acts 19, Read Acts 19. I hope to read that with my kids standing in the amphitheater in Ephesus in about three weeks. And there you have Paul, basically he's, because of his ministry of the gospel, he created a riot because the silversmiths were ticked off because they were losing money because nobody was buying the idols of Artemis and their economy was flopping because people were turning to Jesus and away from idols, so they took their idols really seriously, at least monetarily and in other ways too, but, but it was a very serious and pervasive culture of idolatry. And then if we if we continue on with John's other works in the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, as he writes, as he records the words of Jesus to the seven churches. In them you see often a temptation to compromise with culture. And it's, it's, you know, the the charges to those who overcome because there's this, this temptation to compromise with culture in particular to bow down to certain idols, to lose the first love, to turn away from Christ and turn to other things so as to skirt around the possibility of persecution and maybe even death. As one commentator said, John was writing to a church that lived and breathed in a culture of idolatry. But even apart from that, um, that just whole environment around them, I think the way John has addressed idolatry throughout this letter is that the, the word "idol" in Greek could also have this tendency of falsehood, um, a, a falseness. It, it is a, it's a false god, and he's talked so much about false perceptions of Jesus false teaching about Jesus. I think it's necessary for us to see idolatry fits in this false teaching about Christ, false images of who he is, false ideas, false views. That's exactly what John was countering throughout the letter with the secessionists, those who, what did, what did he call them? Antichrists. Because what they were presenting was the opposite, was anti the real Jesus. So he's saying you have to flee from this. They were presenting a false Savior, a false image of Christ, and and I know this may only be conjecture because it's not 100% clear here, but this is what I believe John is primarily referring to and referencing. It's this false teaching because this false teaching had the danger of warping the believer's views of Christ, and of course, if it does, it takes away their assurance, which is one of his biggest goals in this is to give assurance of eternal life. You know, any alternative to the Jesus of Scripture, the Christian has an obligation to keep himself away from. We have an obligation. And guess what? This hasn't changed any in 2,000 years. Our culture is just as rampant with idolatry. It's utterly appropriate and needed. This command is so needed for us today. And I know that, that you know, we don't and probably nor, nor do most of our neighbors actually go da- out and bow down to a physical idol in a temple. I don't know of any worshipers of Artemis today, but we are all so prone to idolatry nonetheless. One commentator wrote, as the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, there are more idols in the world than there are realities. If we understand idolatry as trusting, obeying, revering, and following, that is, in effect, worshiping anyone or anything other than God himself and his son, Jesus Christ, there are as many idols in contemporary America as there were in classical antiquity. Idols can have an elastic interpretation, one that represents a reality that seeks to stretch around our souls. I think that's a scary last phrase in some ways. Seeks to stretch around our souls And capture our hearts, delude us, and lead us astray. And that deadly combination of there being so many idols, not only are there so many idols out there, but as Calvin said, the the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. We're really good manufacturers. We're really good at it. That line doesn't stop a lot. (laughs) Humanity is so full of pride that we impose our image of what we believe God ought to be on the real God, and we distort him. And folks, honestly, that's evil and wicked and something that we have to guard ourselves against. Listen, there is so much in this world that calls for our trust and our obedience, our reverence and allegiance that are false views of what is a Savior, false views of God. And I actually think it's appropriate to try and mention some, kind of broad stroke. And the first place I want to address is the church. Sadly, there are too many images of God presented from pulpits across this country today and across the world that are false. The vending machine God of the health and wealth and prosperity gospel is not the real God. The God of progressivism that seeks to conform God to postmodern ideas of right and wrong is nowhere near the God of Scripture. It's not even close. The God of, I've got to be on the right side of history. Maybe, depends on what it is, but does it match with Scripture? But most of the time I've heard that phrase, it doesn't align with Scripture. but also the gods of our culture that have seeped into the church. Money, success, power, sexual freedom, personal autonomy. That's where we get this my truth and my God and my Jesus phrase is I'm captain of my own ship. We're a very individualistic area (laughs) and that leads to that all the time our feelings, our expressions. Be true to yourself. Be your real self. I'm pretty sure Jesus said, deny yourself and come after me. Those things are the worship of self and their idolatry. And this is what John says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is something we have to guard against with great diligence. Again, the words of John Calvin, so innate in us is superstition that the least occasion will infect us with its contagion. And listen to this. He says, dry wood will not so easily burn when coals are put under it as idolatry will lay hold on and engross the minds of men when an occasion is given to them. So you could put the driest and thinnest of kindling over a fire, and it goes up like that. He's saying, idolatry will catch hold of our hearts quicker. This is why we have to say, keep away. Keep yourselves. Because the truth is, the worship of idols of any kind is absolutely, completely inconsistent with the knowledge of the true God. The true God who is so much greater and better than any idol could ever hope to be. May promise the world. Folks, that's not what we want. (laughs) Do not love the world or the things in the world. We want the promise of Christ, the promise of eternal life. Just plain and simple, it's sin to turn to idols. The best way to protect ourselves against idolatry is to be engrossed with the glory and beauty of God. That's the best way to do it. If we don't fill ourselves with what is beautiful, with what is glorious and what is good and right and true, we will fall for that which is a, which is a, a second-rate knockoff. We have to consistently recognize the truth and light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, and it will, as Calvin said, scatter and dissipate not only darkness, but also all mists from the minds of the godly. We need, to see, we, we need to see who we are in Christ, who Christ is and, and what that means for us more and more. And folks, what that will do is that will, that will push out and it will expose the darkness and it will absolutely dim the allure of the false gods. If you have two flashlights and you've got one that's like 4,000 lumens and one that's a flashlight from 1876 with... Uh, th- you know, a wind-up battery or something. I don't even know if those exist, but it's like a little flicker, and then you've got this 4,000 lumen thing that would blind every one of you in here. There's a difference. This will take away the allure of that. You'll be like, that is worthless, because you know what? The idol is worthless. Stick to the one who says, I am the light of the world. Keep yourselves from idols. So my charge is this. Study and labor to know God. Study and labor to know the real Christ, and idolatry will lose its luster. I would have no greater joy than to see you all walking in the truth. Study to know the real God. Flee any whiff of idolatry. Stay in His Word. That's where you'll meet the grace and the compassion and holiness and purity and justice and goodness and truth of the God we worship, the God that's presented to us in Scripture. That's where you will find assurance. That is where you will find rest in the midst of whatever is going on. That's where you will find calm in the midst of a storm. That's where you will find a rock of refuge when things seem to be going crazy. It's not in an idol. It's not in something that this world presents. It's in Jesus and in Jesus alone. He is our rock of refuge. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me know Him through His Word, and the rest will fade away. And know that we will feast with our God for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we do give You praise. And we ask, Lord, that You would work in our lives, grow us to be more like You, Lord, we know that we're charged to keep ourselves from idols, but would you work that in us? Help us to keep ourselves through the power of your spirit and your grace. Be glorified, and may we be a people who walk in truth and keep ourselves from the idolatry of the world and too often our own perverse hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.